Oh, oh, hello. I didn't I didn't see you there. Is that you, Jean? It is I, John Arminio. Oh, I was gonna I was gonna think you were Jean Valjean, the man who got arrested for stealing bread. Uh the star of Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. That's that's me, notorious bread thief and uh, uh, French revolutionary. Well, as you know, this is Popcorn Escaton, a side story, side guy, side quest, a guiden, if you will, of Zebras in America. I'm Scott Thorough with your other virulous host, Jean Arminio. We're here to talk about film that peaks our lens of interest in leftism, politics, working class people, unions, unionism, uh, empathy, catharsis, catharsis, and eschatology, and the interplay of where it, it falls in religion. And sometimes when they intersect, sometimes we do movies that are really just religious, Some we, sometimes we do movies that are really just political. But obviously, using the, the lenses that we use, we always find something interesting. Absolutely. So, so I'm very happy to be building with you today. And I just want to let you know, by the way, we are going to be doing an episode about Les Miserables. Oh, sure. We're going to have to figure out another musical to go with it. But Les Miserables is a movie that I love. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a disaster piece. If you've ever listened to Zebras in America, you understand the term disaster piece of something that has glimmers of a masterwork, but is such a disaster, is such a mess that it gets in the way of itself. But then yeah. that, but then by getting in the way of itself, it makes itself something truly enjoyable and satisfying. Uh, I think one of my favorite disaster pieces would be Southland Tales. That was the exact movie I was thinking of. <laughs> no, I think I think when when trying to explain and pinpoint a disaster piece, I believe the follow up to Donnie Darko, which was Southland Tales, which to watch correctly, you're supposed to read three graphic novels is a prime example of a disaster piece. Some of my favorite movies are disaster pieces and that's okay. However, yeah. Les Miserables is not only a disaster piece, but also is both incredibly religious and incredibly political. Mm. But Jean, tell us why we are gathered here today. Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about the uh, 1970-1969 documentary short I Am Somebody, directed by Madeline Anderson, and the 1993 uh, drama Gas Food Lodging, directed by Allison Anders. And um, you know, these both of these movies have been on my mind for the past few months uh, for a couple reasons. One, um, one of my friends sort of... Uh, called me out on my, um, which th this is something that I'm very self-conscious of. I, I do have just very, like, masculine tastes when it comes to movies. You know, my favorite directors are all men. 
a lot of my favorite movies are all about men. I, you know, gravitate towards pretty traditionally masculine action movies and, and actors. Even a lot of the art films that I fall in love with are, you know, directed by, you know, Herzog and, and Ingmar Bergman, you know, or or Andre Ru, you know, Andre Rublev, which is about, you know, monks. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm that doesn't mean I don't enjoy movies by and about women. It's just, you know, when I'm deciding about um, what movies I want to podcast about, I have certain instincts. Um, that leads me to, you know, Seven Samurai or, or something. Um, so so there's that that got me thinking about gas food lodging. Um, but also, a few months ago, the, I had the opportunity to do a podcast about the Alex Winter movie Freaked. And that week, uh, Alex Winter, who is a documentary filmmaker, appeared on the Movies That Made Me podcast talking about his favorite documentaries. And the first one he mentioned was I Am Somebody, which I had not heard of. And he talked about how it made a huge impact on him. And um, the host of that podcast, uh, Joss Olson, he frequently talks about how much he loves gas food lodging. And that uh, is a movie that my friend, who called me out of my masculine tastes, um, talked about as a movie that she loves as well. And that sort of got my wheels turning about uh, possibly talking about um, both of these films with you, Scott. Yeah, I think it's important to understand our blind spots and be willing to look into them Mm -hmm. and not get defensive or hurt. Yeah. So when someone like you is reminded or when I'm reminded of how my lens sort of veers, it's up to us to how we respond to it. And I've always said behind closed doors and and on the pod that I want to, when we can, keep our mind on foreign cinema, cinema directed by women, cinema, cinema directed by people of color, people of differing outlooks and experiences and and also and also there's not enough of them but trans directors non-binary directors and um i'm i'm hoping there will be more and and look at these things or films about these characters or or things of that nature and so when you suggested that we do this female directed couplet this week I was excited and also intrigued because I had not seen Gas Food Lodging had heard of it but had seen I Am Somebody because of when we had Dr. Steve McFarlane on a few episodes ago one of the things that was recommended was that we watch that we talk about that Mm. and I watched it but we ended up talking about some different movies and I thoroughly recommend 
that you check that episode out. Yeah. So yeah. speaking of masculine movies that I love the hell out of, we talked about They Live. It was a good time. Yeah. And um, Charlie Chaplin. So it was it yeah, was a good yeah, time. Yeah. And I think They Live is one is like one of if not the most masculine anti-capitalist movies mm-hmm. you'll find not to say that there really are like masculine and feminine all of that are binaries and things that I would love to talk about and I'd love to talk about on another episode that makes more sense like if we did ever did like an episode on uh, Fight Club and the art of, and and Oh God! Why am I drawing a blank? Jesse Aaronberg, Aaronberg movie about martial arts. Yeah, the art of self defense. The art of self defense. If we were ever to do like a mo- an episode about the art of self defense in the Fight Club, because mm-hmm. art of self defense is like if Yargos Lanth the most directed Fight Club, and <laughs> am I wrong? Um, I-, I know the film, but I have never seen it. Oh well, I think it, I think it's worth watching. Mm-hmm. Though the description makes it sound like it's a, it's an amazing movie, it's not an amazing movie. But I think it's a movie that's good for thinking. Yeah. But if we were to do an episode about masculinity and what that means and unpacking it, I would like to devote an entire episode to that. Sure. So I'm not I'm not going to go into that, especially talking over two films by women about many women. So I was surprised by this couplet, this diptych, if you will, that you suggested. So gas food lodging, tell me a little bit about it and tell me, uh, yeah, how you were like, oh, this is for popcorn eschaton. Yeah. So you know, um, I think Alison Anders is a really fascinating director because, um, you know, when this was released in 1992, Hollywood was really enamored with, um, you know, bad boy filmmakers like uh, Tarantino and, and Steven Soderbergh and Robert Rodriguez, like, and, and you know, a couple of years later, Kevin Smith. So, like, that was a generation of filmmakers that that she was really competing against and who who were really trendy in indie film at at the time and you know this was a woman who um was born in kentucky um became a single mother went to england went came back to america put herself through film school um and and just like really dug in and did the work and transformed this um fairly obscure book called don't look and it won't hurt by richard peck and like grafted her experiences um as a single mother growing up poor into this film and um and like basically split her own personality into the three main characters uh the two daughters and their mother nora and you know it's such a quiet gentle film who treats its characters with respect but doesn't hold back on their flaws um 
and I, I just think it's so carefully considered. And especially at the time, I think you know we've ha- we had had a good twelve to fifteen years of a backlash against feminism that had really kind of peaked in as a cultural force in the seventies, and so, but throughout the eighties, um, there's a real you know like a backlash against it, and I think this film um, it, it's not about that. But I think coming at the time, I, I, I think, especially looking back on it now, I think that's part of its writing, it, the way it depicts its characters, certainly the, the way it depicts female sexuality and um, the independence that th- these women exhibit. You know, it's beautiful and quiet. Um, oh, but, yeah. But, but also... Never but brutal. Bore, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is brutal. And completely honest and, and certainly never boring. Um, and like fascinated and true, I, I think. So first I want to ask for a brief description, but what do you mean by true? Um, like I never find myself questioning the writing of these characters. It doesn't seem like there's any artifice in the way Anders draws them or the or the way they speak uh, like there's there's a couple maybe like false notes in some of the supporting characters d- just because i think some of them are non-actors but you know it it's it's sort of like everything that you would want in the way an independent film crafts its story you know these are people that you don't normally see uh on the big screen um it you know there's um, one of uh, the character played by Fruza Balk is named Shade, and she's friends with what we can see now is a non-binary or maybe a trans character, but living in a town of maybe less than a thousand people in 1992, neither of them have the language to understand that right and the film doesn't need to tell us that but through their relationship and the difficulty they have knowing what their identities are um well like we we observe the tragedy of of their so the breaking of their friendship and and it it doesn't need to spoon feed us that right so you have this sort of slice of life story about a mother and her two daughters in a small town in, right, New Mexico. Yeah. And all three of them tr- sort of looking for love. And, right, like that's just the story, right? The yeah. story is basically a, uh, a mother and her two daughters try to find love in a small New Mexico town. And so much happens in that conceit i i think anders i think anders is a understated heavyweight and and should be more well known and in a more fair society where there were allowed to be more than one or two women directors at a time i think that she would be talked about with 
the Soderberghs of our time. But alas, she is not. But you were about to say something. Yeah, and you know, you you were saying it's about them finding love, and what I think is is so unique about this film, especially at the time, is that it's their desire for love is complicated by the physical difficulty of, you know, being poor in a small town. You know, like they're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, that they they can't afford to buy the large pack of, you know, laundry soap. You know, like they're looking for, for, for um, Shade is, is is looking for, you know, laundry, enough soap to bu- do one load of laundry she, and she can't afford a larger pack so she has to get this guy who turns out to be her father um, to, to buy it for her. And um, the, the stress of raising two daughters who are itching to find their own identities, um, you know, just gets to, to the mother which is completely understandable and you know it, it's hard to have room in your life for for romance for sex when you're worried about where your next meal is gonna come from right I think when we're able to unpack the privilege of being depressed and having anxiety which I know is like a hard concept to understand but because we're no longer running from bears all the time, because yeah. you and I are ha, live a relatively privileged life, I know where my meals are coming from most of the time. I'm actually able to be depressed and have anxiety and have all these other things where I think the default when life is so meal to meal and heart to heart, is that like, oh yeah, like depression, anxiety is just like roof for the course, par for the course. Um, and it might not even be thought about. So yeah, you have this family that are poor and they don't know where their meals are coming from and everything is a bit of a struggle. But Andrews is such a delicate and thoughtful filmmaker that you're never beaten over the head over it. It's, again, as you said, it's it's just a very subdued, gentle, quiet movie. Yeah, like there's a, a great moment where the mother is just in the bathroom and she yells, "Who? okay, which one of you used the last tampon without buying another one? And her daughter yells back, I just bought some, they're under the sink. So, like, the mother's, her fuse is so short that she, that she doesn't see a tampon right next to the toilet. And so she immediately assumes that her daughters are slacking off. And so, so like, there's, there's no room in their lives for patience. Because, you know, like, teenage girls have short tempers and their own hormones are raging and everything is just stress upon stress upon stress that like they can't even use the bathroom without finding a reason to argue with one another and you know that it's three people in a trailer like they they're living on top of each other and it's hard you know 
it's hard to have a private life and it's hard to have a private conversation. But then when one of them leaves, it's even worse because now it's quiet and lonely. And so lonely it is. And that's, that's the despair of it all. And you have these amazing performances by Ion Sky and Fruza Balak. And I forget who played the mother. It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, and Brooke also Adams. Brooke Adams fantastic and i own sky um falls for this like geologist dude played by the villain of the last season of heroes um (laughs) and yeah it's just none of it is run of the mill none of it as is is what you are expected so when she falls for this man and they they make love she tells this story about her sexuality, which is brutal, mm-hmm. but it's done again in not a very sensationalist style. It's just like, um, this is the reason, this is the reason why I think I might be how I am. However, meeting you, I feel different. And then it also courses through a story that brings us to the eventual end of the movie, but I really want you to see this movie so you haven't seen it i'm not going to give it away however most of the music is credited to jay mascus of dinosaur jr and he makes a cameo in the movie but yeah the music is fantastic the cinematography is fantastic and an interesting fact is that often not every year new mexico is either the first or the second poorest state in the country next to West Virginia. Um, and what often makes the difference is how many rich people move to each, either of those countries, either countries, states, which offsets the, the average. Yeah. But New Mexico would be the poorest state if it weren't for the very rich that moved there. And, and real quick before I address that topic, the, the speech you, you mentioned that, that Trudy gives, um, I think, you know, it's, it's tragic, and I think it's one of the, you know, the most effective examples of demonstrating, like, the path to least violence that women are faced with when it comes to, like, their own sexuality. You know, like she talks about, you know, that she, to be quote unquote easy is the way that she avoids, you know, being assaulted is is basically the the gist of her conversation. And, you know, for a character to be able to talk like that and for a movie to present that topic in such a sensitive way, um, I think is is pretty astonishing. and, and it's immediately, you know, we immediately empathize with her character. And, and she said some pretty ugly things. Like, the, the, one of the first things she says is, you know, a racist slur. And so for the movie, like, in half of its runtime, to go from that to we're, like, touched by the tragedy of our life, I think is, is kind of amazing. Well, it's the old axiom, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And... There are very racist people that have gone through very terrible things, and then 
There are people that may not even be terrible, but say racist things. Yeah. Um, I often go by Jay Smooth is a YouTube person and, and a radio host and stuff. He wrote, he made a post on YouTube many years ago about interacting with people when they have said something racist and how best to have those arguments. And basically the crux of it is that if you say to somebody, you're racist, they can just say, no, I'm not. And there's really nothing you can do with that. Like they are, they just said, no, no. So what you can do is say, hey, this thing you did felt racist or this thing you said was racist or you know what I mean? Yeah. So this character said a racist thing and that needs to be unpacked. Yeah. And the movie doesn't unpack it. It's just like a a story about poor white people and um have you ever tried to talk to a working class white family about white privilege? Um I've never brought it up, but I have been adjacent to those conversations, yeah. Those are hard conversations to have because if you're if you're talking to somebody from right like a a very challenging income area of Maryland where you know they haven't had anything and things have been incredibly difficult trying to explain inherent privilege is a hard conversation to have yeah because they ah how could you say i'm privileged i haven't had shit and then go off the laundry list of blah 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 and i have had those conversations and, and i think those conversations are able to be had but they're hard conversations to have mm-hmm. so when you're talking to people about pots to piss in when no one has them um i can't i can't really I couldn't talk poorly about this movie, though. I just thought the way that this director handled it, and I I feel that it would be very difficult for a male director to be able to handle this sort of story, to handle these sort of situations, to handle that monologue with grace. I just... It's, it's why I hammer home the importance of diversity in filmmaking... Because at the very worst, right, if, you, if, if you're like, why do there, you know, everything should be merit-based. And I can talk about forever how the notion of merit-based is a bullshit fallacy. But the reason why it's great to have different points of view is because you get fresh stories, fresh takes, and interesting insights. And art, in many ways, is about gaining insight. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in the film, um, Shade falls in love with this uh, Mexican-American boy, Javier, um, who, you know, responds to that racist epithet by saying, you know, hey, my family's been here for five generations. You know, America took it from us. And, you know, she gains insight by going to his house. And seeing how Javier and his mother just 
defy all the stereotypes that she had been raised with. Um, and, you know, there's a beautiful scene with them dancing together. And you know, they're able to connect over the, this legendary uh, fictional Mexican actress, Elvia Rivero, um, that Shade is sort of obsessed with. And, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's just a wonderful example of, you know, what it takes or, or how your own life can be improved by gaining insight into somebody else's perspective. Oh, it's, yeah, it's such a good movie. And also, like, desert movies are my jam. So, yeah. love a good desert film. Yeah. It's, and, it's, it's such a good motif. Yeah. the And both of the sisters do talk about, especially Shade, talks about the desert in a way that a religious person might talk about, like, a beautiful cathedral. Just, and, um, and her sister's boyfriend, who's a geologist, shows her the beauty of the, the, the desert, and, you know, they, they, you know, they make love uh, amidst the, the glories of nature, you know, the, these rocks that glow under infrared light, and I think it, it really, without, hammering at home um, shows you the spirituality that you can encounter in the desert yeah I mean the the basic crux of the reli- the religions that you and I come from is spiritual spirituality in the desert mm-hmm. how many how many articles are there about like oh I think the burning bush was you know ayahuasca or or acacia, blah blah blah, MDMA, um, and then in this on this continent, right, Turtle Island, um, there's, I, I I read somewhere that, that some people call America Turtle Island. Have you read that? I have not. Well, I really hope I didn't say something problematic just there. But if I did, call me in. We can talk about it. Um, you know, there's like a lot of in in ge- geogra- geopolitical America, right? So, so in parts of America, parts of Mexico, there are deserts, and also in parts of Alaska and Canada, where like where the tundra is essentially a desert, right? Mm-hmm. There is spirituality. There's a lot to be happened in the in the in the stillness of the world, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, um, a movie we covered uh, earlier in the podcast, "Wonders of the Desert." Nasser Kamir, the director of that film, said that um, Arabic is the language of the desert. Yes, that sand falls from their mouths when they, or from his mouth at least, when when he speaks it, and and you know. And that's sort of the epicenter of Islamic culture. So I think we have, uh, or Saudi Arabia is, and so uh, the origin. Uh, and so I think, yeah, we have three major religions that owe their existence to the desert. Yeah, so what did you think about this movie? And tell me, uh, you know, why you recommended it for this podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do love this movie and, um, I, I think it's, it, it's a nice palate cleanser for 
uh, some of the, the films that I've been watching for other podcast prep. And um, and I'm I'm just really glad to, you know, e- expand my my palette, e- even though I I had seen it before. It I I think it helps me be a better movie watcher, you know, to take in these different perspectives and different viewpoints and and new voices and filmmakers. Um, but I I recommended it because I think. Um, I think it's a depiction of women in the service industry. Um, you know, it's like the only occupation available to these three women is to be a waitress, at least where they are. And I think that sort of dovetails into the documentary I Am Somebody, which is about a field where, where women of color are able to have a career and due to the powers that be, um, they even in that they are struggling. And so, in order to find their own voice in, in that industry, they have to strike. Which brings us to to uh, I am somebody, uh, directed by Madeline Anderson, and um, she is a uh, a black female filmmaker um, from. Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, just down the road from me, and you know she she grew up in housing projects, very poor, um, in an environment where her desire uh, to, to be a filmmaker was certainly not fostered because you know there were not any black women certainly making movies uh, in the '40s and '50s when she was falling in love with movies. Um, very few and very limited depictions of black women on screen and so she did have to take a a roundabout way to start making documentaries Um, but this is probably her most uh, famous work and it centers around the strike of um, first a college hospital and then it and then it spreads to the local hospital in um, Charleston South Carolina and due to the demographics and the pay that these hospitals are are, are paying, um, pretty much all the nurses are black women. And so the strike quickly or immediately um, stirs up some racial friction uh, between you know the the owners of the hospital the governor of South Carolina and the police against this uh, nurses union. And had you, had you heard about this movie before Steven talked to us about it? Um, I mean, the, after Alex winter talked about it, um, I sort of immediately uh, sought it out. Um, because he 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 uh, extolled its virtues uh, quite quite effectively, and and I, I thought it sounded fascinating. And both of these movies are relatively easy to find to rent. Um, I was able to find them without having to, you know, pull any tricks. Um, yeah, this movie was really beautiful, well put together, um, prescient. 
tells a story that means a lot now and means a lot then. Um, it's so there are certain jobs that are supposed to be strike proof, nursing being one of them, um, healthcare, uh, policing, firemen, um, and for there to be a strike, especially in the time that there is, you know, during during these important times in the civil rights movement, Coretta Scott King is in the movie. She's she's fantastic, as always. Um, no one would want to go on strike as a healthcare worker because there are obviously ramifications of going strike on strike as a healthcare worker. So you have to look at what brought this on why would someone do this why would you strike from a healthcare job and as someone who adjacently works in healthcare it's just astounding and interesting and i don't judge them they had to do what they had to do um and you know i pretty much support people on strike i i assume that there's a reason if these women were making a dollar thirty an hour, exactly. Uh, Coretta Scott King said that that is not a wage; that's an insult, and have to agree that translates to around ten dollars an hour in today's money. Um, that's yeah for a job as challenging and as necessary as as nursing. That's outlandishly low. Um, Classism sexism homophobia has been rampant in healthcare industries since they've existed but yeah um and it's still it is still an issue and there's still there are still problematic excuse me pay disparities that exist that are usually implicit i you know i think it's very important to talk to people that are resistant to have these difficult conversations about positionality race class sex gender all of these things and to talk about that most of the things that we do are implicit so i don't believe i don't believe that all Hiring and paying practices are implicitly implicitly part of a hegemonic plan to to not pay people a fair wage. I think there are instances where they are, but I think a lot of it has to do with implicit bias. But then again, um, I'm not saying that with a full chest. I'm sure there are maybe there are meetings within the one percent where they're like, yeah, we need to make sure that certain people get paid a certain amount, but as someone who adjacently works in healthcare, I can tell you a lot of jobs are not valued, not to the extent that this was happening, but there are numbers that you'll hear that certain people are getting paid and you're like, this is, this is preposterous. Yeah. And, th and this is in 2023. Um, and it's just, it's just, but People will get away with what they can, especially when it comes to money. 
But yeah, tell me a little bit more about this movie and, and some of the things that it left you with. Yeah, I think it does a really good job of showing a general strike strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a- a- Andrew Young of the SCLC, um, a-, a civil rights pioneer, he um, spoke about how it's important to boycott um, sort of the downtown area, like make the entire community feel the economic weight of the strike and what these striking workers are feeling. Um, they, the strikers go to wealthy areas to protest, so they're not just striking around the hospital. They're putting their issues in the face of the people who are making these decisions. Um, I loved that they had one of the strikers narrate the, the film. Mm-hmm. And so she's able to, like, speak her own story and also we see her in her home um talking about how her husband had to you know pitch in and help out around the house and and do chores and you see him sort of smiling and nodding it's a a bit of a a yes dear moment i thought that was like a kind of a, a sweet um instance in the film and you know it 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 shows well you know it it shows how quick the police are to arrest peaceful protesters. Um, it's we don't see any, you know, graphic displays of police abuse, um, but they're they're pretty rough with some of these female nurses when they don't need to be for sure. Um, but we we also get to see them win. You know, it's it's not uh, a groundbreaking. Um, civil rights victory that's going to change the way healthcare is done in America for the next 50 years but for these women it at this time it's a success and they're, they got paid closer to what they deserve to be paid right and this is a time where you know the National Guard would show up for strikes and yeah we have so many more rights when it comes to striking that we do now uh back then in 1969 1970 that this was a much more courageous move i mean the civil rights movement i'm not saying that look there are so many courageous people um these days you know on so many walks of walks of life but i mean Nurses in the six in nineteen sixty nine nineteen seventy going on strike. It's just, it's just incredible. It's just absolutely incredible. Hundreds of hospital employees doing this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And there were there were a thousand protesters arrested during the strike. And again, it's just like a largely, largely a film about black women. And, um, you know, it's just beautiful to to see this experience told by by a black woman, a b- woman about black women, and all of the interesting things that happen in between. Yeah, I mean the the strike lasted a hundred days, and you know. When your when your existence is 
making a a dollar three an hour, you're on such thin margins, and then to go without pay for a hundred days, like that's that has to be a terrifying prospect. Like you know, like you're. You, you you could lose your house. You you could be evicted from your apartment. Um, you know if you're feeding your kids, are they going to go hungry? And you know it's this. You know fight for dignity. Well, you know putting your life on the line. Um, like it must have been scary every day that they went out there to to protest for what they were owed. Yeah, like it was. This is literally putting your life on the line. Mm-hmm. It's it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it, after you know the the images of fire hoses and dogs and tear gas. Um was still incredibly fresh in, in people's minds, you know, from the protests at, at, at Selma. Um, there were several high-profile assassinations um, just a year before. And so for them to, with all that knowledge going in, to march in the face of the police um, took incredible courage. I think, like, you know, would I be able to strike at my job and I'm like, damn, a hundred days. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. You have to think like if you were presented with these same situations, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, yeah, there, this movie, obviously I understood the spiritual and political aspect a lot more. But what did this film do for you spiritually and politically? I mean, it's it, it is a reminder of just how connected the civil rights movement in the. I mean, throughout American history, really is is tied to religion, and you know specifically uh, black churches. In in this case, I mean, you know, the SCLC stands for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, uh-huh. and. You know, it was just it was so instrumental in organizing, organizing strikes, organizing boycotts, putting different populations together, getting you know Coretta Scott King and Ralph A- Ralph Ralph Abernathy um, to this strike, and you know having them willing to be arrested. Um, churches were a place for people to gather and to, to hear civil rights leaders speak. It was just you know, absolutely essential. And, and, I, and I think um, the message of serving humanity, of caring for the poor, of caring for the sick, you know, which is what nurses do, right. uh, um, is also a central message of Jesus. You know, so so I think the values that the civil rights leaders were fighting for, that these nurses were fighting for, are also religious values. Oh, fundamentally religious values, especially because you know it is not uncommon for 
so there's a staggering number, and I'm not going to say the number because I don't know off the top of my head, but the percentage of social workers and nurses that are religious is incredibly high. There is a high correlation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that should be surprising. So, and mm-hmm. I think Christianity, as I understand it in the New Testament, is also a very protesting religion, wanting freedom and fairness and kindness. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but I, I don't think the radicalism of Jesus' ideology can be underestimated. You know, he was for a grand upending of the social order. And, you know, it's it's harder to, it's harder to imagine a more Christ-like mission of social order destruction than poor black nurses protesting against Strom fucking Thurman. You know what I mean? Strom, Thur- na- Strom Thurman. Strom fucking Thurman. Yeah, who's uh, name-checked as one of the adversaries of the, of the strike in, in I Am Somebody. Uh, the f- I, I don't want to talk about Strom Thurman, but we could. What a monster. Look yeah. him up if you don't know who he is. But he's a very powerful person, very hateful person. Um... Yeah, I find this film to be one of those great instances where something is both visually stunning and a beautiful story and a powerful story. Mm -hmm. My big issue with documentary often is that it's either or the story is good or the method is good, finding a combo of the method and the story is really hard. Um, are you familiar with the band The Pogues? Yeah. So The Pogues are one of the greatest bands of all time. And the lead singer, Shane McGowan, or one of the, the, the most famous lead singer, Shane McGowan, if when you're listening to this as it comes out, passed away recently. And I think top 10 lyricist of all time, um, incredibly political person, often stated that he was too afraid to, you know, he's from Ireland, so he was too afraid to be part of the Troubles or to be involved in the IRA and all that, look into it, and instead wrote music. And, like, you know, people from that walk of life greatly thought of him as a prophet and ally and singer. And in fact, I think one of the greatest Christmas songs of all time, Fairy Tale of New York, was written by the Pogues. Yeah. And, you know, Shane McGowan was was a religious person. Uh, he was deeply religious, Was a, I believe was a choir boy. Um, and... Uh, there's a documentary that came came out about him two years ago, which was, 
I think, produced by Johnny Depp. They're very good friends. Um, and it's it's not good. And you're like, damn, this is this is one of this is one of the most interesting people, but the budget was really high, and there's like just like a lot of animations and a lot of just like trying to make it really engaging when you don't need to make it engaging. The story is engaging. Yeah. And I was like, wow, there are BBC specials about the Pogues or YouTube videos about the Pogues that I think are just much better. And this is what I'm saying is like, you have the subject matter is amazing and it's what you do with it. So I think I am somebody just does a great job of both being a great film and great subject. Yeah. It just, it, really does capture just the the stunning visuals of these you know nurses in their in uniform you know and their union hats marching at like at night lit up by police searchlights as as they're being herded into you know vans you know it, there's just such striking and and simple imagery it does not need um a flashy presentation at all especially when it's narrated by somebody who was there and participated in those events amazing um do you have any thoughts before we close up um no i'm i'm good i think i've i've said my piece scott thank you um and I, I really appreciate you, you um, diving into this couplet with, with me. So thank you very much. No, this was a fucking awesome couplet. I really enjoyed it. I wish I had a little more time. I think, I think I'd like to slowly integrate a little bit of sometimes, not all the time. Also, like looking at articles and things mm-hmm. or writings, because I feel like there's something about like the socioeconomic non-traditional family like matriarchal family in new mexico that i'd like to dig deeper into Mm -hmm. um because i feel like the the socioeconomic and political ramifications of food water lodging what is no gas gas food lodging gas food lodging is is really ripe for Mm -hmm. the taking and i'd like to look into that a little bit more I like to yeah. look into hagiographies of that shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm I'm all for hagiographies. It's my jam. Awesome. Well, thank you, friend. Thank you. <laughs>